So we're reading this morning from Mark 21 to 34. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use it for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and pulls out large puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can rest, sorry, can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. God, thank you for your word. Good morning. Uh, Last time that I was up here, uh, I told you how to tie your shoes, and nobody got mad at me. Um, This time, such arrogance, right? Uh, Today from our passage, it looks like I'm going to teach you how to light a candle, and so we'll see if that garners any more outrage. We are in Mark 4. It's Jesus' parable about the kingdom of God. And when we looked at it last time, the first part of Mark 4, uh, we were compelled to reconcile the common titles given to the parable of the sower. To get the true reading of it, we have to figure out what the title should be. If it was called the parable of the sower, then the force of things means that the sower, the evangelist, better get things right. They better say the the perfect word in order that uh, the seed would take root. And that's just not biblical. So it's not very helpful to call it the parable of the sower. If we call this the parable of the soil, then one could feel the responsibility to choose wisely, to determine carefully who to share the gospel with in order that the good seed would fall on good soil and have a chance to thrive. But that's also not biblical. We are to scatter liberally We're not to be the ones to choose who will get the gospel or not. That is the Lord's work. We are just to say it, just to speak it. So that brings us to uh, calling this the parable of the seed. Then the weight of things falls on the seed, the gospel itself. 
in order to pursue, produce the plentiful harvest, uh, it is the seed that does the work, and the seed is good. The gospel will return a hundredfold. Therefore, we are to scatter everywhere and every day, in season and out, not being choosy as if you and I had any inkling which the good soil, soil would be. We're just to scatter and scatter and scatter because the growth is unto God. Now today we're picking up uh, in verse 21. And he said to them, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed and not a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And we tend to treat this as a separate set of parables. It's like a new thought from the parable of the seed. And it doesn't help that I broke things up in chapter 4 either. Uh, But this parable is necessarily part of the parable of the seed, as are the other ones that will follow. When we pull this parable out and read alone, we get a different message from Mark's intention, and it becomes more like Matthew's. Matthew 5, 14 to 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people put a lamp nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is scripture. It's absolute truth. The Christian is the light of God in the dark world, this dark world, and so we're to shine on. But if we are being expository, trying to expose the original intended meaning of Mark's parable here, we get a very different message, one that is specific to Mark's kingdom theme, where Matthew is talking personally about you shining your light before men. Mark here is narrowly talking about Christ as the light of God. Come. In fact, several scholars point to the Greek here, and this is only found in Mark, where the word the is used the definite article, the. Your, bar, your Bibles all likely say, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket. But literally, the Greek says, does the light come to be placed under a basket? Not a light, but the light. Does the Messiah come to remain hidden? And the answer is no. Jesus will manifest himself gloriously, but it begins gradually. His good news will be proclaimed, and the seed of the gospel, the seed of the kingdom, will grow and grow. But instead of talking about a light or your light, Mark is talking about Jesus here. This is kingdom stuff. Verse 22, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. The light came humble and wrapped in swaddling clothes. This light was wrapped in flesh for a time. But you and I know, as did Mark's original readers, that the Christ died and rose and that the light of Christ would grow and spread and produce more and more light among men. Again, like our verse above, we tend to read this bit that anything kept in secret will come to light and think this is about our own lives. But that's Luke's message. Luke 12, 1-3 says, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. 
Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on housetops. Now, when I was a young youth pastor, fresh out of science school, and that's another story, I was part of a ministerial, a bunch of youth pastors in Edmonton that met together. Arriving late one morning, once I apologized for being late, I went in and tried to go sit down, and the leader said, Leighton, we've just gone around the whole circle talking about our deepest sins, and now it's your turn. (laughs) And my eyebrows went up and my body went cold. (laughs) This was the most horrifying thing that I was ever told. It was the longest five seconds of my life. And when I went and sat down, the fellow said, oh, just, just kidding, we're sharing about our churches. Uh, it's your turn. Everything hidden will be revealed. I can tell you now that lust and pornography were a struggle, and I didn't want anyone to know it. What would they think of me if it came to light? Who would I be in their eyes? Would I lose their respect? Would I lose my job? Keep it covered. Struggle on. But now I can tell you. I can share my experience because this is my history. And maybe God's work in my life can speak to what he's doing in yours. What I can tell you is that in this church, we do talk about our deepest sins and struggles. We go around the circle. And we gain respect for each other's honesty and vulnerability. And we don't lose love, but we gain it. If you are new here, don't be scared of transparency. Step into it. This is a people who share their struggles, confess their sins, find hope and encouragement in the closeness of church family. As Mark states in verse 21, the light comes. Jesus himself comes, not to be hidden, but to shine upon men, to actually shine on our sins and bring them to light so that we conf- confess them and be forgiven. We can experience cleansing and restoration and then witness how God is utterly transforming us. I can tell you from my own experience, you're not going to beat sin by grit or by will or by force. You will only find freedom when you seek God himself and find that he becomes more desirable than your temptation ever could be. The things that used to tempt me no longer have any weight or draw compared to the pull of Christ and the gospel in my life. If you want to beat sin, get to know Jesus more and do it in sacred community. Verse 23, if anyone has ears, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more added will be added to you For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus has already said in the parable of the seed, if anyone has ears, let him hear. Meaning to those whom the Father has granted the ability to hear, listen up. Much is required of you. If the gospel has come within earshot, use both ears. Pay attention. Like the parable of the talents, which talks about giftings, Mark here talks about the good news and says, by the measure you listen, 
it will be measured to you, and still more will be added. Now, as in a little, little aside, the baskets, three verses back, the basket that could be used to cover the light is a measuring basket. You know the song, don't hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. That's a measuring container, and it absolutely ties these three parables together. The good seed produces 30, 60, 100 times the initial measure. The kingdom of God will not be hidden under a measuring basket for much longer. And this verse, with the measuring basket you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, this is not saying that your listening ability will be judged. This is not talking about ADHD or attentiveness or hearing aids. The measure of hearing is about listening and doing. Will you follow? If you believe and do what God requires, more will be given. But if you hear the very gospel of life and dismiss it, well, then what you have will be taken away. The parallel story in Luke 8, 18 is actually more poignant. It says, even what you think you have will be taken away. These verses carry such a strong emphasis on God's sovereignty in granting people the ability to listen to him, all while maintaining that man is fully responsible to follow in obedience. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Again and again, scriptures proclaim that those who seek anything other than God will become dull and deaf and blind. Those who follow their own paths and idolatry will become like those useless paths and idols. Psalm 135.15 says, The idols of the nations are but silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath at all in their mouths. Those who make them will become like them. Yes, anyone who trusts in them. Jesus is calling this to mind. It's cause and effect. It's so simple. Loving and following and trusting in anything but the living God will leave you deaf like the wood and silver and blind like the gold and mammon that you seek. Stop looking where there is no life. Mark 4.26 says, And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seeds on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. The kingdom of God, his reign, his rule, and presence is hidden. It's here, but not many see it. Why? Because the secrets of God are yet hidden. He has done this. He controls this. But you must know that just because something isn't readily visible, it doesn't mean that nothing is happening. In fact, there are incredible things happening right now, 
in the heavenlies, in the hearts of the people next to you, in our churches, our ministries, and our mission fields around the world. It's hidden. It's almost silent. Demands the gift of faith and the gift of hearing and seeing which is given by God. The farmer plants and waits. I think nowadays the farmer buys the seed and waits in faith. The witness of Christ speaks the gospel and in faith, wait. You know that for all the science of gene and nano things, maths and DNA, we still don't know how a seed grows. And you can reply, well, we sure do know that there are biological pathways and we can splice and pollinate and perpetuate, but great. Can you do it on your own without God's materials, without his spark? Life is still such a mystery. But the push of this parable is that something is happening, that the harvest will come. It's a foregone conclusion. The seed is good, the gospel will work, and the harvest will be such a bounty when compared to these humble little beginnings. Think of it. First, Christ came saying, repent, the kingdom is near. Then 12 went out. Then 72. Then the Holy Spirit lit the disciples and Paul on fire. And though it's been 2,000 years of small and hidden happenings, God's family, the one that he started in Abraham, is on every continent, reaching toward every people group and tribe, and pushing to share the good news in every language and tongue. Mark goes on. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed. And I almost brought a mustard seed and did that, but it wouldn't much matter, right? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that birds of the air can make their nests in its shade. Mark begins this parable with the familiar phrase, the kingdom of God is. And he talks of the little mustard seed, not much bigger than a grain of sand. Now, men in recent times have lost their minds over this parable because Jesus calls the mustard seed the smallest of all the seeds on the earth, which is in fact not true. How can they believe in him as God, or how can they believe in the Bible if it has mistakes? But Jesus was not speaking as a botanist, not a statistician, or an analytical scientist. He was speaking as a teacher, as a storyteller, and in this case, as a parable giver, which is much more figurative. He was not expressing exacts, but ideas. And when Mark writes as A contrast, all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to see him. We understand that not every man, woman, child, and pet left the territory at the same time. Why would we demand the literal from a man from a made-up story in chapter 4, but dismiss chapter 1 as an actual event? We need to understand and we need to teach our children this, 
that there is some elasticity to the biblical language based on context. And while literalism has its place, it requires its cautions. So the mustard seed. The carrot has a smaller seed than mustard. So does the poppy. But orchids are way, way, way smaller. And if you get talking about fungi, it turns out mustard, mushroom seeds, rather, mushroom seeds, spores, are microscopic. I just came across an article that claimed most seed banks in the world are inadvertently spore banks because many of the seeds that are being stored are actually coated in spores. There are smaller seeds, and it shouldn't rock your faith to say so. Further, if you're interested in seed size in the other direction, did you know that the coconut is a seed? And in fact, the coco de mer, the double coconut, is easily bigger than a rugby ball. It's like, it's like this, and that's a seed. My daughter always wants to participate in sermons, and I asked her to stand up and yell once, and she has asked to do that again, and so I was going to pass this to her, but she's sick today. <clears throat> she's probably watching. Uh, there are seeds that are bigger than this. Here's the thing. This is not a parable about size, but about growth. This is a parable about growth. The little mustard seed, a common little seed, insignificant, tiny, but it grows big enough to carry nests and to shelter birds. The kingdom of God starts as a simple word, but it grows into a faith, into a family, into a place of safety and protection, and eventually into a borderless nation that spans the entire globe. It's incredible. Even so, and this might be harder for you to hear than that the mustard seed is not the smallest. This parable is about a seed that becomes a small tree. Note, Jesus still calls this a garden plant. And it might grow 20 feet across and 20 feet up, maybe 30, but it's not a mighty oak. People want big religion, big miracles, large churches, large projects, but the inconspicuous, small changes of the heart are just as much a miracle as raising the dead. Some people see simple belief of a person and turn away because it looks small. What is a Christian against the world? Likewise, some people the ex see the extent of the church today and say, what can a church do? They say, what can the church do? The mob wants armies, power, big miracles, towers, but Jesus doesn't give us the redwoods of California. He doesn't even give us the cedars of Lebanon, which is a little more regional. He says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed 
turned mustard plant. It's not a rugby ball-sized coconut turned palm tree. And that is meant to be enough. In this life, and we are talking about this side of Christ's glorious return, the kingdom of God is not going to look like much. David Garland writes, the imagery of this parable is meant to be disconcerting. It's meant to be ordinary, maybe even disappointing. A lamp, a measuring basket, a scattering of seed. Instead of striking out and defiance and aggressiveness, the kingdom of God appears lowly. It appears vulnerable. The seed is subject to adversity, rejection, delays, loss. These parables contain no promise of instant and universal triumph. They address the deceptive insignificance of the coming kingdom. But know that God's purposes will be fulfilled in God's way, and God entrusts the secrets of those purposes only to those who are willing to trust him, despite the unpromising appearances of things. Can one believe that the kingdom of God advances through humiliation, through defeat, through crucifixion? Can one believe that Jesus of Nazareth, who was hanged on a tree, is indeed the judge of all living and dead? The sooner that we accept God's sovereignty, his reality as it really is, the sooner we will understand that all the world is running after the wrong things. In fact, they see everything backwards as to how it really is. Here's a quick list. God's power is made perfect in our weaknesses. Therefore, boast in your weaknesses. Focus on your weaknesses. Be about your weaknesses so God can show himself more powerful. Our weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but of the spirit. If somebody hurts you, you don't hurt them back, you pray, you be kind, you love. The first will be last and the last will be first. Utterly different than what the world proclaims. And if anyone wishes to save their very life, they must lose it for Jesus. Verse 33. And with many such parables, he spoke to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. We spoke about this last time, but there's something in the parables that separates. Some hear and want more, some hear and want less. In speaking to the crowds, Jesus' parables are catchy, pithy little stories, maybe an amusement to the masses, but to those given ears to hear, there is such depth. The pithy little story becomes something to mull, and then it becomes something that mulls us, something that rolls around in the mind and pushes on our sensibilities. These parables push out our preconceived notions of God's rule. Today's passage has bookends. 
Verse 22, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And verse 34, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Be a disciple. It will mean greater and deeper understanding. He speaks to his own. In summarizing this chunk of Mac. Mark 4, one commentator writes, to allow these parables to speak to us in our settings, we should emphasize two themes that emerge from them. The hiddenness of God's kingdom and the confidence that even though the kingdom lies hidden, it is working to produce the harvest that God intends. The beginning determines the end. And we live in the in-between between the beginning when the seed was sown and the end time when the final stage becomes manifest and all God's purposes are accomplished. We live in the middle, the already but not yet, and the middle is a hard place. It is the place of not seeing how it will all work out. It is the place of broken relationships, of cancer and pain, It is the place of trial and testing and of waiting and waiting and waiting. But for the Christian, the middle is the soil of growth. It might be hard, but it is the place of increase. Just as the kingdom is slow and sometimes imperceptible, It is the incursion of God's presence into this world. So also is the sanctification of being in the middle often slow and incremental and difficult. This is God's incursion into our lives. It can happen mightily, but it usually occurs minutely. Either way, it happens miraculously. We pray God's will be done because there's no other way. My will makes things undone and yours is just as terrible. God's way most often occurs in the mundane, everyday, seemingly ordinary. But if you are in his will, you must know that you are right where he has placed you. We are promised not just hope in the heavenly life to come, but joy and contentment in the slow, hard, and fuzzy here and now. We are to remember that the kingdom of God begins with a seed, but it concludes as a kingdom. And this is the kingdom that we are called to daily participate in, all while Christ is re-imaging us in baby steps to look and act like him. Do you struggle with sin? With worry? With anger? With loneliness? We are to get to know Jesus. We are to fall in love with who our creator is. That becomes so much more beautiful, so much more amazing than anything that we tend to seek on our own.
the light of the world becomes our light. The measure we use becomes the measure that we gain, plus more. And the very same seed that becomes a kingdom is the seed that can move mountains. Stay the course and pray his kingdom come, his will be done. Let's pray. God, as we sang today, there are things that are too wonderful for us to understand. Things that you are doing that are hidden, but that will be gloriously revealed. Lord, as you are rescuing a people for your name, we pray that you would help us to throw off all the things that we tend to cling to. All the comforts that we rely upon. All the desires that give us a fraction of the joy that we would have if we set it aside for you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to desire you and your things, to seek your kingdom first, knowing that everything that we need will be added. Lord, grant us your spirit. Grant us community that we can do this together, live in the middle together. And Lord, I pray that your name would be proclaimed, that we would give you great praise Sundays, Mondays, every day. Amen. Sure.